Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, listeners, to a special birthday episode. Now, we just recently released Alan's birthday episode. His birthday was in January, so we will link to that in the description if you want to go back and listen to that, which I recommend you do because we had a lot of fun discussing his birthday pick. It was very fun discussing, I think, probably our worst reviewed movie on Silver Screen Guide thus far, I would probably say. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. So if you want to have a good time discussing a horrendous movie, it was pretty fun for a birthday pick. Yeah, yeah. So this is my birthday pick. My birthday is February 11th, which was yesterday. So this movie is a little more serious than Alan's pick, but... This movie, Secondhand Lines, today we're discussing Secondhand Lines, just in case you didn't read the title when you clicked on the podcast, but Secondhand Lions is a movie that's pretty close to me, actually. This was the first movie ever that I decided, this is my favorite movie. This is just my, my favorite movie ever. And now, mind you, I was younger, granted. This movie came out September 19th, 2003. So I didn't I did not see it in the theater. I'm I'm pretty sure I didn't. I'm pretty sure I saw it when it came out on home video like we rented it from Hollywood Video or whatever on VHS something like that. But this movie really kind of made an impact on me as far as film goes with uh just like characters and storytelling. So I was really taken in with this movie and still what what's 2003? How long ago was that? Gosh. Well, it's 2018 now. That's 15 years ago. Yeah, once we hit September, this movie will be 15 years old, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, that's kind of crazy that 2003 is now considered almost a sweet 16 now. Yeah, that is weird. But still, the movie has left an impact on me, and I thought it would be a good pick to go back and review it, especially since this was really the first movie that I decided was a favorite film of mine. I can't really just put a finger on this is my most favorite movie of all time. I would say this one comes close to it for sentimental value, but also for character value and storytelling value. Right. But there isn't one that I can just really put my finger on it, but this was technically the first movie. And still, even today when people ask me, I'm not going to give them a laundry list of movies. Not saying my favorite movies are a laundry list, but it would take a little bit of time to just say it's not just such a straightforward answer. But right. sometimes this is the movie that I give them right. um, when I tell them. It's kind of funny, too, because I had never seen this movie. I think I may have heard of it, but I'd never seen it up until this point. Apparently, everyone else has seen this movie. I didn't even know. I guess I forgot this movie existed because I'd never seen it up until this point when we decided this is the one that you chose to watch. Yes, I don't know how well it is remembered after all these years, after 15 years. It has two major stars in it. Yeah. That are credibly famous. Yeah, I guess for the time it would have been three because Haley Joel Osment was almost at his peak at this point. Well, that is true because The Sixth Sense came out. I don't remember when it was. It late nineties. Yeah, it was ninety nine. Yeah, so Haley Joel Osment had some uh, pretty good fame from the M Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense. Oh yeah, 
Uh, he's a little older than older in this now than he was in that movie. Yes. But yes, and there is a couple more stars. Uh, before we talk about the stars, this movie is directed by Tim McCanleys, I believe is how you pronounce or McCanless, I'm not sure. Well, according to his IMDb trivia, he has really done next to nothing except for he actually wrote The Iron Giant. Oh, wow, really? Yes. That's actually surprising because that's a Brad Bird film, too. That is. And The Iron Giant is actually, if it's not already, it will be experiencing a little bit of resurgence in popularity with the upcoming release of Ready Player One. Yes. Clearly from the trailers, The Iron Giant uh, plays somewhat of a role in that movie. Yes. I know for a lot of people, The Iron Giant is pretty nostalgic. I wouldn't say it's a movie that's nostalgic for me, but I do see why it is nostalgic. I have seen it before. I remember the day that Cartoon Network ran it just like a marathon. Just that was the only thing they showed for the entire day. And I remember watching it like, gosh, probably seven times or something like that that day. Anyways, yes, I think that Iron Giant, and seems like with this one too, there seems to be some nostalgic value with just like a lot of people. Sure. I would say the Iron Giant of the two would probably be his more noteworthy film. If you're going to take a poll, more people would hear and say, oh yeah, the Iron Giant. They'd recognize that one over it. Right. But otherwise, he's just directed five things and wrote seven things. And that includes t- like TV shows. Right. So this is a pretty small director. He hasn't really done too much, I guess. And I believe this is an original screenplay i believe you're right i don't think it's based off of anything from from what i saw yeah i believe you are right i don't i didn't see anything that it was based off anything this is a completely original screenplay yeah this is the director's vision essentially is what i'm seeing yes i would say the only thing he probably slightly borrowed from is when walter is a grown-up which is not a spoiler because it's the very first thing you see in this movie well, not the very first thing, but it's the second thing, I guess you could say. Yeah. Is when we see Walter as an artist and he draws about him and Jasmine, you know, the lion. Right. That kind of reminds me of the, Cal- what's it called? Calvin and Hobbes? Yes. Um, animated? Yes. Yeah, Calvin and Hobbes. That's a little similar with like the artistic style, right. I would say. But otherwise, that's it. So the movie stars Michael Caine, who was already an Academy Award winner. Robert Duvall, who has been nominated for Academy Awards, Haley Joel Osment, Kira Sedgwick, Josh Lucas, Christian Kane, and Kevin Haberer. <laughs> huh. Uh, the film holds an IMDb rating of 7.6, nearly an 8. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's still very, very strong. That's reputable. I went ahead and looked at CinemaScore, and I would like to use CinemaScore when possible to kind of just give different ratings comparisons between that and IMDb. Uh, CinemaScore doesn't have everything, so then you'll see me occasionally look at Rotten Tomatoes, but I am not really the biggest fan of Rotten Tomatoes, but I do like to give some rating diversity. Right. But CinemaScore did score this movie, and CinemaScore is probably the the best way to do it because... For those of you who don't know, CinemaScore goes to the theaters, and when the people walk in or whatever to the actual movie, they give them a little pamphlet, and they, like, check from a rating scale of, like, A plus to F what they thought the movie was, and total together, CinemaScore, the audiences gave Secondhand Lines an A. Oh, wow. That's surprising. Is that the highest rating, or is it A plus? A plus is the highest rating. All right. 
That's good news. The audiences enjoyed it. Oh yeah, that's really good news. The film had a modest budget of thirty million. I mean, for the time, that's that's pretty good. For the domestic box office, it grossed forty-two million, so it made back its budget. Had a profit of twelve, which I would say for this kind of movie is pretty good. It does have two big names, and I guess Haley Joel Osment, right? But these two big names were. I don't know. They probably would have been mostly the draw for getting audiences to come in and see it, even though they were older at the time. Michael Caine and Robert Duvall are older, and now they're really old. Right. Yeah, (laughs) looking at the box office numbers for this movie, it didn't do the best it probably could have done with all these actors on it. Uh, It is kind of interesting, though, because New Land Cinema at this time was right in the middle. Well... No, they had just finished up Lord of the Rings, I believe, right? Yeah, Lord of the Rings, those films were almost shot back to back or simultaneously with certain certain parts of it. Yes. But yeah, Lord of the Rings was huge, huge, huge for New Line. Yes, Return of the King came out in 2003 and this came out the year after that. So yeah, they would have been, New Line would have been rolling in cash at this point. So it's kind of surprising that one of their movies doesn't really do so well. I mean, it's not gonna. It's not really gonna hurt him. I would. I would think. But yeah, it's kind of interesting how just barely made its budget back. That is true. And new, like the Lord of the Rings was New Line's biggest hit, and it kind of what saved the company mm-hmm. in a way. So I guess seeing this New Line movie really not do super well, I guess isn't really surprising. But thankfully, it's nowhere. It's not a box office bomb yeah. at all. Nowhere near. Right. But it definitely, I'm sure they would have liked it to do better, but it did fine, I guess you could right. say. The foreign markets, I it did horrible. I don't know where it was released for how much. I don't know. It just, foreign markets, 5.8 million. Right. Not not too great. Not too great. Right. So worldwide total, 47 million, eh, 17 million profit. It, I guess it's pretty good. Right. So here's something a, a little bit interesting um, that I found out when doing a little bit of research. So Haley Joe Osment, I believe it was for Sixth Sense. Yes, he was nominated for an Oscar for his role in Sixth Sense. And he lost that Oscar to Michael Caine for some what? other movie. Yeah. Wow. And come to find out, they later on came back and they did this movie together. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I found that out when I was doing some research. That's pretty cool, actually. I actually didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Well, the movie was not number one opening weekend. It was number two with an opening weekend of twelve million, which I'd say is pretty good for a budget of thirty. Yeah, it makes made back about about half its budget, so I guess it's okay. Close to half. Okay, it did go up against Underworld, which was definitely going to be a bigger draw. It's Kate Blackensale in black leather fighting vampires and werewolves. Clearly, that's going to make, even though it's rated R, and this is PG. Who's going to want to see secondhand lions where it's just a bunch of drama and mean something when you can see somebody else just kick the crap out of uh, vampires and, and stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it really didn't have much competition at the box office. Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl had been out for 11 weeks. Oh. It was number nine at the box office. Wow, yeah. Disney's other movie, Freaky Friday. Had been out for seven weeks, and it was number 11 at the box office. So, And otherwise, everything else was 
I don't know. It's totally forgettable. Nobody even knows about most of those other movies out. Right. So yep. it was a good time to release it. Yeah. Pretty. Number, number two. Yeah. It was pretty died down at this point in terms of releases. So before we jump in, uh, something I like us to do on here is talk about the trailer because trailers can be incredible or they can be misleading. Yes. So Alan, I want to hear your thoughts on what you thought of this trailer and does this trailer make you want to go see the movie? So... I was actually very surprised at this trailer and how I would say accurate it is in terms of reproducing the exact same tone that the rest of the movie has when you go to see it. Because I don't think the trailer showed too much, and I don't think the tra- and I don't think the trailer showed not enough. I think it showed just the right amount where that where it intrigues you to go to want to go see it. And maybe back then, if I was a kid and seeing this trailer, I would be like, eh, maybe. Uh, but as an adult now, seeing, you know, these two really old actors and this up and coming uh, Haley Joel Osment, it would probably pique my interest a bit. So I thought this was a very good trailer. I was kind of surprised. I guess I'm kind of washed out because of all the new trailers that are coming out now. But I think it had just the right amount of subtlety to it while not giving more than it should away, but still retaining that same feel that the rest of the movie has. I thought that was very... Very good. Now, did you watch the trailer with the voiceover? Yes. Okay. Well, we have differing thoughts then. Oh, okay. <laughs> this will be interesting. I thought this trailer, because we don't do this with trailers anymore, with the voiceover for the family films, really. Right. That's something that's kind of gone extinct, especially with how much goes on with this. So that threw me off a little bit. And... To me, it makes this movie kind of sound like a goofy adventure. It's got goofy music playing and, uh, like I said, kind of a weird voiceover. There's also a couple scenes in the trailer that aren't in the movie. Um, They seem more like extended or alternate scenes. I personally felt the trailer didn't represent the movie very well. Like I said, it was really making it out to be this goofy adventure and ascribing character motivations that I didn't feel were really in the movie. At this age, this trailer doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, if I just saw this, I would probably brush it off, which is sad because, no, I don't don't want to brush this movie off. Right. (laughs) But at a younger age, yeah, I'd be interested and I'd probably like to see the movie. I don't remember seeing the trailer at a younger age. Yeah, I can't recall if I did either. Yeah, that's been a long time ago now. I would have been eight when this movie came out. You probably would have been seven. We were really young when this movie came out, yeah. and neither, like we said, neither of us saw it at the theater. Well, this is Alan's first viewing, yes, right? Yes, this is. I've never seen this. Uh, may have heard about it. In terms of everything that we're talking about here, I'm completely fresh going into this movie, which is nice to have a fresh perspective. Yeah. So before we jump into the plot, I'm warning you right now: we are about to get into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen Secondhand Lions, please go ahead and pause this podcast. Because I don't want this movie to be ruined for you. I want this to be a fresh experience just like Alan had. Yes. So go ahead and pause it. Go rent it wherever you like to rent your stuff. And then come back and enjoy talking about it with us. So without further ado, you have been warned. We are going into spoilers right now. So a young boy named Walter is dropped off at his supposed uncle's house for the summer while his shifty mom goes to school. 
Walter has never heard of or even met these uncles before, and they're not too keen on getting to know him. The uncles mostly spend their time scaring off solicitors who want their money. See, many rumors surround the uncles because they are supposedly rich from, I don't know, stealing from Al Capone or winning a ransom money from an Arabian sheik. There's a lot of different rumors going on. Well, in fact, Walter's mom mentioned to him making it his goal to find the money. But Walter disregards the rumors and finds enjoyment bonding with his uncle Garth over the stories he tells of the two uncles' exciting past. One day, the uncles order a lion so they can shoot it and mount it over the fireplace. But the old lion doesn't seem to put up much of a fight, which they find to not be very sporting. Walter takes care of the lion, names her Jasmine, and the two become close. Surprisingly, Walter's mother returns in the night with a new boyfriend intent on stealing the money. As the boyfriend is assaulting Walter to get out the info where the money is, Jasmine rescues Walter but dies in the process. The next day, Walter's mother is ready to take him home to a supposedly new life, but once again her promises mean nothing. Walter runs back to live with his uncles where he grows up and learns to become a man. Years into the future, Walter gets a call his two uncles have died by flying their plane upside down into their barn. <laughs> he goes back to the old homestead, and surprisingly, a helicopter lands with the sheik's, is it grandson or great-grandson? I can't remember. In it, who asks Walter if the men behind the stories were real. With a glean in his eye, Walter remembers fondly the memories he has growing up with his uncles, especially that one memorable summer as credits roll. So, this movie opens with a pretty exciting opening, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it does. I was not expecting an airplane to come out of the mm -hmm. opening when it, with a movie called Secondhand Lions. <laughs> yeah, and the font is kind of a Arabian-type font, right. right? Right, yeah, it's it's... It's quite different. This is not the opening really you would I would have expected at all at least. Right. It's a pretty fun introduction to these two old men. You really don't know who they are. Right. Anything like that off the bat. They're flying a plane, they fly it under a bridge right by the police car and it clocks it going like over a hundred. Right. And then we cut to Josh Lucas, who plays Walter as an adult, but you don't really know that at first. And he gets a call that says, Walter, it's about your uncles. Hmm. Well, that kind of sets up a bit of a mystery. Right. So then it goes back. I believe this is his flashback to when he was a kid. And I don't know. This looks kind of like the 50s or 60s to me. Yeah. We're very much in that time period. You can definitely tell at least by the cars that roll up there. Right. We're totally in the 50s, maybe 60s. Right. So... We begin with uh, a very interesting premise, I would say, because his mom is finding another way to get rid of Walter so she can go off and, I don't know, find a man or go do whatever she wants. Clearly, she doesn't want Walter around very oh, yeah. much. She's kind of a burden and she's figuring out ways. And she says this is his uncle's and she provides kind of a confusing shifty explanation for it and it gets me wondering are these really his uncles yeah that's ex i wasn't exactly thinking are these exactly his uncles at first but mm -hmm. i was really just thinking that 
what kind of a mom is this? You know, yeah. it's very clear that she does not want him around whatever she's trying to do. And she, I think one of her first lines is that she met a guy that's going to pull some strings. And I'm just like, but you have to drop off your kid? What? So immediately this mom character, she's kind of a a, a villain essentially. She becomes more villain later on in the movie. But as of right now, she's I wouldn't even call her a very good I wouldn't say she's a very good mom. She's Oh no, she she neglects him. Oh yeah, no, she's trying to get rid of him. I was actually surprised that she came back, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, she is gone for most of the movie after she dumps him off. Yes. And I really enjoy the exposition here going on between the mom and her son. He's bewildered. He's seeing all these scary signs as he goes up this really long drive to their house. Yes. I thought that and was kind of funny. She's, yeah, that was funny. And she's saying all kinds of stuff about going off to school or this or that, whatever. And right off the bat, she mentions the uncles have millions stashed away. Right. And there's lots of different stories surrounding how they got it. And she really, she's just using Walter pretty much. She said, hey, I'm going to go try and do whatever. And you work on finding the money. Right. So we can, you know, they can leave it to us in their will, I guess. Yeah. She essentially says that she's going to, I think, going to go off to school or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this comes up, up a bit later. But also yes. try to find a guy to pull some strings Haley Joe Osment, uh, Walter, is kind of starting to catch on here towards the end. He's he's starting to catch on that <laughs> his mom is his mom is really maybe only here for the money. Um, you know. Yeah. And I think that Walter is the I think that Haley Joe Osment, at least at this stage, is the perfect age to play Walter in the story as well. And I'm, we'll get more into that a bit later. But um he's not an idiot. You know, he's not a kid anymore. Well, He's on the he's on a verge of becoming an adult, like a, a man, you know, yeah. and so that's why I think you know not only is he suspicious, but he's just like, well, what am I supposed to do, you know? And I guess you could kind of call this movie an unconventional coming of age story, yeah, in a way, yeah, definitely. Well, I did think it was really funny when the mom comes up to them like shotgun fishing. Yes. And Hub says to his brother Garth, you send for a hooker? Yes. That's that's pretty funny. This movie had me laughing when Robert Duvall and Michael Caine were introduced and they were shotgun fishing. I thought that was the mo- the funniest thing. Those two have really good chemistry oh. and really good dialogue together. Oh, they have great chemistry. I I want to see them in more movies together just because the chemistry on the oh, screen yeah. that I got to see was so good. I would definitely love that. Yeah. Well, it's really funny because Walter is so he's never had a father figure. He is kind of a kid of his age where there's still some modern technology that more people are getting. Uh, he doesn't know about animals, apparently. He doesn't know, because he says a pig. He's like, nice doggy to the pig. Right. And I love it when he finds out the uncles have no telephone, no television. And he's like, what do you do around here? And he quickly finds out they just sit on their porch sipping tea and sh- like shooting over the heads of solicitors, which I think is a great story set up. Oh, yeah. It- it's very clear that this is 
not your typical movie, I would say. It's right. It's I find to be the scene when they're like shooting at all the um all of the people who want to get their money. I thought the scene was just also just really really funny. The same with the the shotgun fishing beforehand. Um, I think it's absolutely hilarious how they don't even think about listening to them. They just they just scare them off right, right as they get up right as they get up there. Yeah, it does show you that these uncles are fairly well known. They're either they're kind of famous, but they're kind of infamous because the reason so many solicitors are taking the time to drive all the way out there is because they know these uncles are. These two old men are rich. Yes. I don't know exactly how those rumors got started, but there's a ton of them, which is really kind of fun when you get to hear different people throughout the movie dropping little hints of like, oh, this is what they did, you know, and it's different every time. And it ranges from like, it's normally bad. Right. They're normally like, oh, these, these guys are criminals. And what did you think about these rumors and about the money? Did you believe there's any money? And- like, what are your thoughts? See, I okay. So I originally, originally, the only thing we really heard is that oh, they have millions, right? That was the base. That was the first thing we heard about. That was the reason why uh, Walter was headed to their house to stay for a while. Um, is that they just had a bunch of money, and then more rumors started coming in that from the movie that they stole it from somewhere or some illegal activity, you know, things like that. So at first, I was like, oh, really? So they they stole it? But then I started hearing more rumors. I was like. Okay, so what's the real story? Why do they really get the money? And the movie kind of explains it. Um, there is one part when Michael Caine is telling the story, um, but it doesn't. I don't think it fully explains it. And I'm, the reason why kind of ties into the message of the movie later on. But I was kind of intrigued. That it's like I think it's more or less leaving it up to your imagination as to how they came across the money, like actually, because. At one point in the movie, I begin to doubt if the stories that Michael Caine is telling are 100% true. Yes, I felt the exact same way when I first saw the movie. It does, like, just like Walter questions a lot of this stuff, or he blindly accepts it, but then later questions it. Mm -hmm. I felt the same way as a viewer, especially as a younger viewer, who you just don't know what to believe because some of this stuff is really wild and really fantastic and there's no indication to believe any of it. Right. Right. And at first, yeah, like you said, there's no, at first there's really no indication, but once you get like to spend time with the two uncles, you kind of get this sense that, okay, they've been through a lot more than what they seem to be. And of course we find out that Robert Duvall Robert Duvall's character, uh, Uncle Hub, has definitely been through a bunch of stuff. And there's a really funny scene in the bar a bit later on that w- that kind of shows this. But yeah, like you, like you said, who knows what's really true? And I think that's one of the themes of this movie is truth. Um, once again, that kind of comes up in the... Uh, I think that comes up in the major... Like the big scene that this movie is well known for is the uh, pond scene towards the end there. But yeah, one of the th- one of the big themes in this movie is truth. I think that's quite interesting. I also like how it's not really about the money in this movie. Once again, I, I this has definitely been a thing that we've talked about before on this show. But I, I like how it's not about the money. And Haley Joel Osment's character goes there, and at first it kind of is about the money. The mom's just like, "Oh, you need to find where they where they hid those those millions," you know. 
But then he ends up learning something along the way. And it, who cares about the money? You know, it's not about the money. It It's because of these two guys' personalities. And, you know, they teach this kid and he be, and he grows up to be who he is in the beginning and in the end. Right. That is really nice to see that it's not about the money. Yeah. Because they live, like I said, no television, no telephone. They live these really simple lives just sitting there on the porch every day, you know, shooting at people right, and right. shooting fish and it is cool to see how walter does get them to like use their money to like get a little bit more out of life like mm-hmm. a little bit more recreational enjoyment but also like some productive things with the garden which is pretty funny we'll get to that later right but before we get into those things uh i really like how the characters the character relationships between Walter and the uncles evolves because there's a really well done arc, I would say. Oh yeah. And, uh, I really like the, uh, kind of when they're, it's time to go to bed. Uh, Walter has just been sitting on the steps super bewildered about what his mom has dropped him into without any kind of warning or care. Uh, it's really funny because, uh, Garth says you're going to sleep up there in the tower and then Hub says if you need something find it yourself or better yet learn to do without right and then he says we're fixing to go anytime so if we go in the night you're on your own right <laughs> he's just so scared yeah it's really funny the, some of these lines in the movie are just absolutely hysterical but I do yeah. think it also brings up a very interesting theme that the movie also talks about, which is death as well, because mm. I think we'll actually, I'm going to save that for later. We're going to save that because when we get to the to the pond side scene, uh, we'll yes. have a lot to talk about when we get there. Yes. Okay. Something I thought was always gross is when Walter dry brushes his teeth with that toothbrush. Yes, I was ex- I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, how how much good does that do to brush your teeth dry like that? It doesn't do any good. It's gross, and the bed is gross. Yeah, but he finds the chest. Yes, there is a chest with sand in mm-hmm. it. It is a literal sandbox. <laughs> Lit- a sand chest. <laughs> yeah, there's a mystery woman in the picture, mm-hmm. and. I think the sand is probably, he probably took some of that sand from Morocco and put it in the chest. That'd be my guess is why it's in there. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good guess. I I really don't have any other reason. The the first thing in my mind that that popped in when I saw the sand was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess... I guess in a very roundabout kind of way, they it kind of, the movie does go for more Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, thing when... Garth begins telling these stories, but yeah, that was just the first thing that popped into my mind when you know, you know, when they open up the Ark of the Covenant and it's just sand in the in, in the inside. Oh yes, yeah, that's that's where my mind went first when I first saw all the sand. Well, it's funny you bring up Raiders of the Lost Ark because I have this in my notes later. But as we get more into the flashbacks and especially where it is Hub fighting and whatnot. Yeah, I got a kind of an Indiana Jones feel from some of that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I was referring to. Is uh, it kind of goes for a Raiders of the Lost Ark like feel. I don't think yeah. it was meaning to, but it it does. No, sure. Well, we get a mystery woman, we get a sandbox, and then we get 
a hub walking outside with a plunger. Yeah. Sleepwalking. It, right. It's kind of quirky. It's a mystery. I don't know. What are you thinking so far? This movie is very strange. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like your typical kind of movie. Osmond's just kind of dropped off with the mom who just really could care less about him to, with two uncles who could also really just care less about him. Um, and they seemingly own millions of dollars. And then the first night he's there, Robert Duvall uh, or Uncle Hub is just walking out with a plunger. And this movie, for me, it's just kind of like, ah, what, what is going on? Like, for <laughs> real. And no, it's, it's not, I don't think it's a bad thing either because it's quite different. And I believe that's what is pulling me in is just because I've never really seen this before anywhere else. It's not in this kind of a context. And so seeing uh, Hub walk out there, I was I, almost as if I was ex- expecting this, you know, uh, something just really odd just come out of nowhere just to keep coming, you know. And I th- and so, yeah, that that's basically what I was thinking when Hub starts coming out and he's messing with the plunger and, and stuff like that. Yeah, the Hub's personality is, like, very abrasive. Yeah. And Garth is... More so quiet, kind of like Walter, and I think that's why those two connect the most. Yeah. But we do see Walter and Hub connect more towards the end, but it's a really kind of unlikely trio. Oh, yeah. Um, Their personalities kind of clash, but Garth is kind of the link between them all, I would say, between the two. Right. It's it's an unlikely... Uh, matchup, but that's what makes it intriguing, I would right. say, and it's it's very original. I really enjoy yeah. it, and I think it's also interesting too because Hub is the most reserved character, and I think the goal really of this entire movie is for Walter and Hub to grow in a relationship because for the first half they hardly really have anything there. It's all Garth and Walter, and Garth is. There was one moment when Garth is telling him a story and he was just that, and he stops. He's telling the story about Jasmine and we find out later and he stops. And then Walter is just like, well, what happened to Jasmine? And then Garth is just like, you have to ask him for yourself. And yeah. yeah, I think really the big goal of this movie is definitely with Hub and Walter. And I think that there's definitely a, a very clear line of maturity that he has to go through to get there because of the stories that Garth is telling him and how fantastical they are and stuff like that. Well, I'm surprised he's honest with him right off the bat because yeah. at breakfast the next day, or whatever meal it is, he says, you guys have been gone 40 years, you disappeared 40 years, that's a really long time. Right. And that means that if they've been gone 40 years and they're, I don't know, like mid-60s or something, late 60s, I don't know how old they are, but yeah, that means they really wouldn't have been back in America for too long. I mean, maybe like a decade? Oh, yeah, no, I believe the mom mentioned that they were gone for 40 years and just magically showed up. Yeah. I don't know if she was completely telling the truth by saying that they just showed up one day, you know, but I don't think think that that's true. But yeah, it does kind of ask the question, like how, when did they come back? Because they, they do say later that after all their adventures, they just came back and settled here. But there really isn't a time frame as to when that happened. And it is intriguing that Garth tells Walter the truth right off the bat. He says, he said, well, we were mostly in Africa. We were in Morocco Mm -hmm. a lot. 
and that really surprised me upon this viewing because in the other viewings i just kind of disregarded this information as him just saying something right that you know it's like where have you been this whole time you know oh i've been here you know just throwing that out there but it's the truth right and he never says anything untruthful except he does kind of tease him with making himself a little bit of the hero towards one of the other stories but that did surprise me because out of all these rumors we get the truth really close into the movie. Right. Yeah, and at first when, you know, Garth says this and he's just like, oh, yeah, we were in Africa and, you know, wherever else they're at. At first it was like, okay, so were they just traveling for 40 years because they had millions of dollars? Um, that was my initial thought. Come to find out I was totally wrong. They got that money <laughs> while on their adventures. So, yeah, that, that was my thought. Those are my thoughts going through, going through the scene is I thought they were always millionaires and it turns out they actually aren't. Now we get his crazy, I'm guessing they're cousins, some kind of distant relatives because the yes. ma- the mom knows them. So we get the crazy cousins, and I really like these yeah. additions. To I the love movie. how they're also a recurring joke. They just come back every yeah. once in a while, and I think it's just yes. hilarious. Yeah, this whole family is so funny. They keep popping up, and they clearly want their money. Oh, yeah. And they treat them like they're invalids. They they can't ever control their kids. Their kids are pretty bratty. Mm-hmm. The mom is crazy. And I like how he talks to him and he says, have you taken a look at the will that I've given you, <laughs> like for you to sign? Yes. I'm like, they're not stupid just because they're old. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I love, honestly, I love the, this dad character. I think he's absolutely hysterical in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I love when Walter kicks him. Yes, and the the mom is like, "Did you just see what he did? That's why you need to just take him to the orphanage." Like, yeah, <laughs> I know. What? I know. Oh, I, this is also something that I think we forgot to mention earlier. Uh, Walter's character has been in the foster home before. That's uh, true. It's yeah. a line that was mentioned earlier in the movie, but I think that's that's also interesting. So that also kind of makes me wonder: Is the mom he has now even his mom? It is, I don't think it answers that question, does it? We don't really know anything about Walter and his mom's backstory, okay. except he doesn't have a dad that's been in the picture for probably like mostly his whole life. I think it's mostly just been his mom along the way, and at the time she's neglected him. He's been in the foster system, and then somehow she gets him back. But yeah, so Walter's been through, we know he's had a really rough childhood. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of surprising too that because he's had such a rough childhood, he feels like he's a bit more mature than maybe he, than normal kids his age, you know? This is what yeah. it comes, comes off as. I would say so. And I would say, I would say he's kind of like struggling to mm-hmm. just figure out things for his own. He's really never had anybody to like teach him or guide him. Right. But we get that from, we get the sense of him being independent from when he runs to the gas station right. because he is in a way like running to his mom. And at that moment, there's kind of that like heart wrenching feeling of his mom has totally lied to him yeah. and he has no idea where his mom is, which pretty much means she has abandoned him. And yeah, I'm sure he's like, she's probably never coming back for me. Like she's yeah. fooled me so many times now. Uh, you just see it on his face. It's which I think is is well done yeah. by him. Absolutely. 
And I think that this also kind of goes to show how smart he is, too, is that he's not really a kid. Once he finds out that his mom never enrolled into the school he called, he's just like, she's never coming back for me. And that's what I thought, too, was like she actually dropped him off just so she could get out of there and live her own life later on. That's what I thought originally. She does come back later. But I was just like, well, that explains the foster situation then. Um so yeah, I I'm surprised by how how not only how he was able to piece that together, but also that he was even able to w- know to walk down the street and find the gas station where there's a payphone. And I did like his exchange between the uncles. Yeah, where the uh, hub is ready to get rid of him. He's like, sounds like his mind's made up. Yep. And Walter's like, which way is North? And Hub points, and Garth like pushes his hand down, and yep. Um, I do love the line where they're trying to, Garth is trying to do his best to get him to come back to the house, even though I think Garth is still kind of lukewarm about having the idea of like taking care of this kid, which they've never done in their whole life before. Right. I do like when Hub says he sure pisses off the relatives. Oh, yes. I thought that was hilarious. And he's like, yeah, I love this. I'm going to keep him around just to tick these guys off and get right, them out of here. Right. Now, I, at this scene, uh, Garth definitely is showing that he, at l- the very least, cares yeah. uh, for Walter. And I didn't notice this at this point, but looking back at my notes, um, I'm beginning to see a pattern. I see these three characters as kind of like uh, some steps. Steps in terms of maturity. Walter is at the bottom. And then we have Garth. And then we have Hub, right? The only way for Walter to have a relationship with Hub is to go through Garth, right? And, of course, you have two different maturity levels uh, that are going on here. At first, they were, all three of them were just against the idea of Walter even being there in the first place. And um, that he was even there now and all sorts of stuff. But now that Garth is seeing that he's still a kid... He's kind of going down to his level, whereas Hub is kind of just distancing himself. I, like I said, it's like a staircase almost. You've got Walter at the bottom, then Garth, then Hub. And only for Walter to get to Hub is to go through Garth. That makes sense? Oh, yeah, that, that does make sense. And I do believe that Hub is distant from Walter mm-hmm. because we later learn that Hub's wife died in childbirth. Right. Right. So this man who, and we we know he kind of has this speech that he gives to other young men, like what, what they need to know to be a good man. He gives that to people that aren't his sons. You know, you could tell he clearly, this is the kind of guy who would want a son to go fishing with him and teach him how to shoot and hunt right. and X, Y, and Z, you know. But he doesn't really get to do that. And so he kind of is just very abrasive to young men, you know, kind of takes it out on him that he's been robbed of this. And we see that later in the little, like, gas station diner area. Right, right. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that. That's why I really began, once, after I left the movie, I was thinking back on it, and I was starting to piece everything together. And I was like, God, it makes so much more sense. The steps to maturity, you know, and all sorts of stuff. Because yeah. yeah, even in that situation where Robert Duvall reveals that his uh both his wife and his were would have been child had died in childbirth and it's kind of like whoa, you know, like that that's kind of that's really 
kind of dark for this for this yeah. seemingly kind of sunshiny movie, you know, and yeah. and it like you said, it's maturity, it's reality, just kind of smacking the audience in the face. Like hey, we're not going to sugarcoat this. This is you you grow up and things like this happen, you know. Um, so yeah, I like you said that there's it's very much a, cl- a coming of age story, and there's very much like very clear that there's a, ma- a steps to maturity for a watcher to go through. And I think this movie takes very interest. It's a very interesting path that both of them go through. So while Hub goes off and searches in the night, what is he looking for? And I think that's a really great mystery to find out. Mm-hmm. We get uh, Garth and Walter. They finally launch into these stories, and we finally get the beginning of it. Yes, and I love these flashbacks. I think they're handled really well, mm-hmm. and they create a really good sense of excitement. And we never hear anybody talk uh, in the flashbacks except for one time in the very end. And I think they were really handled well. And I kind of. At first, had a little bit of a flaw with them, but then I realized it's really not a flaw at all. I thought they're kind of almost a little like campy and cartoony in ways, but I thought, well, this is Walter. Like, I'm assuming this is like how Walter is thinking about them, right? Like, imagining them. So, Walter's a kid, you know, so of course that would make sense for it to be that way. And of course, this movie is more of a family friendly film that's why they would do it but i i really like how it's almost like kind of mimed in certain ways it's not just like go to the flashback and whatnot it's voiceover and everything i think it's really well handled yeah and i think you're totally right that this is definitely uh walter imagining all this i think really the only time uh that this doesn't really work is when we first see hub's character walking out with the plunger and and all the sword sound effects start happening oh um the rest of the flashbacks work really well with that kind of fantasy like theme to it although i don't think that when hub first comes out i think that's kind of where it does become a bit cheesy sure but honestly i think that's a nitpick going that far to say that's cheesy i think it is a criticism but i i think it's a very weak one there's it's not going it's not really impacting the the movie in the overall sense i think you're totally right though the fact that we have kind of these more cartoony stories in this in this movie that's between these three characters, I think that this really works because it shows that I think it shows really the true personalities of who these two uncles once were, and their strive even maybe with uh with Walter being there, their strive to kind of relive that maybe. So, what did you think finally when we get the introduction of the lion in the movie? my my when they first brought in the line well first we saw the giraffe and i was just like okay what what's happening uh yeah but turns out they're just getting a lion uh the only thing i thought was the was the title of the movie and i was just like they brought a lion like a second hand lion right but i did really like how there is a dual meaning to it because yes the lion is old Mm -hmm. but they are the second hand lions because you'll notice the title's plural so right. I think it works really well how there's still some value in that lion, but also in these two older guys. Because, yeah, they were they were kind of lions in their younger years. They were seeking adventure, and especially Hub, like we said, was an Indiana Jones type who was this 
fighter in the French Foreign Legion and lots of battles and excitement. So, and even when he is an older man, he is still very, you know, vigorous with a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. So I really like the the title and kind of the symbolic i guess play if that makes sense yeah oh yeah and this line definitely comes back later and tells playing a bigger role in more yeah. of that metaphor between the two uh the two uncles and this line the lion's old and they even said uh when the lion dies that oh yeah its heart may, it must have given out you know mm-hmm. just trying to protect uh walter and i thought also that was really cool later on when the lion this okay when the family the two kids from the family like kind of let the lion loose. The lion goes straight for the cornfields, and when they go to yeah. when they go to fish him out, they the uncles are just like, well, he must have gone back to the place that he knows best, and or whatever's closest, which is uh, Africa. How what a coincidence that the lion came from Africa, but they 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 also served in Africa. Yeah, definitely folding into that metaphor a lot more too. Yeah, it it is. But it does kind of raise a question, I thought, because I've never questioned it until I saw this movie. But so you can apparently just buy a lion for the right price. Some, I mean, a company sells like, you know, exotic animals. I was like, what? You can just buy a used lion? Right. I think, and kind of going off of that too, because they also buy lion food, like a lot of lion food. Purina. Um, yeah, Purina right. lion food. I didn't know Purina sold lion food. Uh, yeah. I didn't know you could bite in bulk. This also kind of brings in the question of what is the timeline of this movie? Because if they were to order the lion food, right? If they were to somehow find a way and buy it, how long would it take to get there? I'm, I'm assuming months. Or even when they ordered the lion, how long did it take the lion to get there? You know, the timeline, I begin to question the timeline just a little bit here. Yeah, if you really think about it, some of the timeline doesn't make sense with characters coming in and out. Yeah. Or situations coming in and out of what happens, but I don't know. I guess, I I think for pacing purposes, it works well. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, yeah, it definitely does. And I'm not saying, I don't think it's a very big criticism. Uh, no. I do question it, but it's... It's not like it's going against the movie in any sense. Yeah. I do like the line. I believe it is Garth, uh, Michael character, who says, it's a reject. Some sick zoo castaway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something else I want to say real quick is, okay, I think Haley Joel Osment is a great kid actor. I mean, clearly he's an Academy Award nominee. Mm-hmm. I believe he does, for the most part, really well in this film but sometimes i found his voice to be kind of annoying and line delivery i understand he's like probably going through puberty or something like that right but it's just so squeaky sometimes it's a little annoying i I can agree with that there are a couple of times especially when uh garth is telling the stories i think is where that kind of comes out his his squeaky voice you know i mean obviously they're kind of they're touching on that theme of childhood but like you said, it's a little bit annoying. So we find out that it really upsets Hub that Walter is going to name the lion Jasmine. And I remember when I first saw this, I was kind of afraid of how upset Hub got. That really threw me off that he got that upset. Right. And clearly he's like held on to that for so long. It's like it really upsets him that way. 
Yeah, no, I I agree. This this definitely kind of goes to show, I guess, how tough Hub is. I mean, we kind of see it before, but how tough he's. I guess he still is when he uh well yeah when the scene comes up and they want to name it Jasmine and, and stuff like that. Because at this point, we hadn't figured out what happened to Jasmine yet. We just know that something happened, but right. not not the specifics quite yet. But something does happen to Hub. He has a heart attack. Did that yes. surprise you? I was surprised, honestly. I didn't know the movie would go this direction and have one of the guys have a heart attack this early, I guess. Um, sure. I figured that would happen towards the end and that would be the climax. But it, no, it happens about midway or so. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. <laughs> they almost throw it out the window like, ah, oh, it's not too big of a deal what happens in later on because they sit down and then Garth just begins telling Walter's stories again. So it's mostly inconsequential because they leave the hospital a couple minutes later and it's never brought up again. Yeah. I also thought it was very, very funny uh, when hub begins like yelling at the nurses and then you, you just see this tray of food just fly yeah. across the hallway and smack the wall yeah, and then all the all the nurses like run out of there. I thought that was just so funny because I knew who Hub was, but I didn't know this is how far he took things. <laughs> yeah, and I do love it right before that when there's that lady like waiting at the hospital, and she like whispers to the kid to like come over there, and she says they're Al Capone hitmen. They yeah. stole the money from Al Capone. I really liked that. I thought that was so funny, and right, everybody's constantly saying something about them and. She's like, you know, get out of here while you can. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. There are just so many rumors surrounding these two old men. I, it's it's definitely. So I I think it kind of builds into the theme of the movie where it doesn't really matter what how they got the money, you know. Okay. So something that I wondered if you heard okay. was during the horse race scene along the beach. Uh, okay, that is the Danny Elfman music from Tim Burton's Batman, like almost to a T, except they like changed like one or two things. And I'm like, okay, this is borderline plagiarism. Go back and listen to both. And it's, yeah, they just like ripped that out of like, it's like Batman's theme or whatever, or whatever. I don't know. Really? That, yes. I didn't really notice that. Wow. I do know that there is a thing that exists called temp music where okay. a director will take well before the co before the score is composed completely uh, a director will take a scene that's like ready to go and they construct it in the editing bay and they'll sometimes overlay it with music just to kind of get a feel as to what it's going to be like and they tell the composer I want it like this so it ends up coming off or almost copying the music and i guess maybe this is what happened here but that's interesting i didn't notice that at all maybe i'll go back and watch that scene because now i'm really curious because that's quite yeah. a famous that's quite a famous theme to do the tim burton batman from danny elfman yeah not the opening theme but it's when like batman is driving yeah or flying it's it's that it's the theme i was surprised yeah that is quite surprising were you taken aback by the fight in the bar Yes, I love this scene. <laughs> I love this scene so much. This is the point in the movie where I was just like, okay, this is awesome. It It is awesome because I love how he is able to handle himself and take these kids down a notch. But it's to like serve a point because it's not like he just wants to beat up teenagers. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
just for the pleasure of it, it it seems like corrective in a way. Right. And we find out later he gives him, you know, the speech uh, that he gives all the young men. But at first, these young men are just being stupid. And so they decide to fight him. And I, I honestly, I believe that Robert Duvall could take on these four teenagers. I actually believe that he could do that in real life in this movie. That's that was, I think it was one of the more surprising parts is how believable they made his character out to be that he could actually take apart these four teenagers. Well, I do love the monologue that he gives to them about who yes. Hub McCann is when he like has the guy has the teenager by the throat and he's like, I'll tell you who I am. You know, I've fought in multiple world wars and on different continents and I've done this and that and I've only loved one woman. And I was like, that was really well written. That was yeah. powerful. I like that. Yeah, it kind of gives us a bit of a glimpse into what exactly is going on in his mind. And I, I thought that was very, very good, too. I, it made me a, a little bit more intrigued into what was his backstory, you know? I mean, we kind of be getting that from Garth and his stories, but I really wanted to know what exactly, like, for real, what's going on in his mind now. Because, yeah, after saying all that, I was like, there's more here. There's 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 definitely something more here. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember if that closes the bar fight or not, but it is also still comical while being action, serious, and comical. Like all three are in this scene and they all three work, I feel. Yeah. I, I do like how <laughs> he's telling that kid, like, you better pick that knife up. And then Garth says, you three better get in there and help him. And it's these like th- four or five young guys against Duval. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious because uh, Garth just says, you know, you know, all four of you go. Don't just fight him one on one. It. I think. Yeah, it's absolutely a circle, and he's able to you know take them all on. Of course, it's. Yeah, this scene is great. I love this scene. I also found the next scene after it to be kind of a memorable scene where they all get the guns. Yes, and they give the guns to the kids. I mean, they're just asking to get shot. Yeah. No. Everyone in the scene has a shotgun. The four teenagers have a shotgun. Basically, everybody in that family now has a shotgun. Uh, Walter has a shotgun. They're all just walking in these cornfields because they, the family had, you know, released the lion. And they're going to find it. I think this scene, this one made me laugh. I, I almost had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. It is it is really hilarious because earlier, the reason the relatives left, I think, is because the mom is like, uh-uh, I'm not going to have, she says, gun foolishness around my kids. Yes. She gets a gun. Both of her boys get the same gun and her daughter gets a gun. And I'm just like shocked at how dangerous that is. And oh, gosh, I wouldn't trust those kids. That That is so crazy. That's a fun scene. And all the young men get the guns too. They're like going yeah. into the cornfield to hunt the lion because it's just like massacring Walter apparently. Right, right. And I think it's just absolutely hysterical seeing the wife and the little girl of this family just they're both with these giant shotguns and just walking into the cornfield. It's I think it's hilarious. And I also love the music of this scene too. It's going back, you know, to that Af- more African style of uh, percussion. And I think that that works really well in this scene. I thought, uh, th- at least this scene in general, because it's more of they're going into the lion's territory now. Um, I thought this was, it was, I, th- I think it stood out more than it had before in the movie. Yeah, Definitely. We also get, I would say, a fairly touching moment where we see Walter uh, Walter is watching Hub give these young men his speech. Mm-hmm. And Walter is like Walter's just longing for 
a good male role model or some good example in his oh, life, yeah. which he's yeah. never had. And he really wants to hear that speech. He wants to know, even though he is too young, really, to really, you know, get the message, get get take it to heart, I would say, even though, like you said, he is a very mature young kid, you know. Right. You can clearly tell that. But uh, Garth says he'll give you the speech if he's still alive. And you can see the worry and speculation in Walter's eyes. And I thought that was really well handled. Oh, yeah. Character. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love how we don't hear anything that Hub is saying. I mean, we get a piece of it later, yeah. uh, but we don't really don't hear anything he's saying in it. At first, it's like, oh, I wonder if he's going to give it to Walter at some point in this movie. And we get a piece of it later. And then the line comes up that... Uh, what you just said. So yeah, I this intrigued me. I really wanted to know what is this speech that he gives? Because it, if anyone were to give this speech, I would want it to be uh, Robert Duvall. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we only get a little bit of it later, but yeah. just a little bit we get, it works. Oh yeah, it's almost that scene. We'll get there, but it's oh, it's so good. And I got to say, the flashback we are about to enter into is one of the longer flashbacks, probably the longest, and I think the last is yes. probably my favorite. Because, okay, when they're fighting in the marketplace against those guys, that feels the most like Indiana Jones, honestly. When Indiana yeah. Jones, uh, Marion is being kidnapped back and forth, and Indiana keeps running after her. Uh, that's the most like it. I really liked it a lot. Uh, really fun. And I do like how Garth pretends he saved him, like when he handed him over, and he's like, "I fought all of them with all those bags of gold strapped to me." And he's like, "What? You don't believe that?" Yeah, yeah. This is the scene right at this part too. I begin to question how real these stories are, because mm -hmm. Garth talks about him taking on all the all the men with with all the bags of cash, not dropping a single coin. And Walter's like, "Wait a minute, you didn't drop a single coin." You know, and then he's begins to question it, you know, and I, a yeah. sign I would say even save him of maturity. So he tells the story again and we kind of see, I would even say um, what really happened in the situation, which is he didn't really do much. He had all the, he had all the money, but he kind of just let his brother do it. He let Hub take care of most of it. And I think that that is more fitting for his character, too, because he's more of a sidelines kind of a guy. More or less controls his brother more essentially. Yeah, it really does fit well with their characters, and I think mm. we get one of the best lines of the movie when he's fought the sh uh, sheik and he's won, and he's standing on top of the balcony, and I love it because it cuts back to Hub as a young man, like you actually hear his voice for the first mm -hmm. time, and he says, "Twice I've held your life in my hands, and twice I've given it back. Next time your life is mine." And then he jumps off the balcony, and that was so exciting—a perfect end to that story. Oh yeah, yeah. I, this kind of reminded me of uh, Princess Bride, just just a little bit um, sure. with the guy's accident and stuff. And then he just hops off the side, you know. That's a funny connection. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I've, I've there are a lot of movies I made connections to in this movie, like you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Princess Bride, yes. and all sorts of stuff. Yes, there, there's a really funny line after this where Garth tells Hub, you've had a full day terrorizing nurses and beating up teenagers. Yes. That was so funny. <laughs> yes, I when he said that, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. This did happen all in one day. Wow. It, it was a big day. A lot happened. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Garth has really great dry humor. 
throughout this movie. Oh yeah, Michael Caine and Robert Duvall do. I we've mentioned this before, but they do a fantastic job in this movie. I think really everyone does. Uh, these three characters, I think, do for the most part do great jobs. Like you almost couldn't fault them for anything. Maybe maybe Haley Joel Osment a couple of times, but for the most part, nothing much of note. I would say. So we're getting close to finding out what happens to Jasmine because yes. this is time for Walter to, I guess, kind of man up, actually. Because if he wants the truth, he's got to go to the source. He can't just, you know, have other people do things for him and just whatnot. Right. And honestly, I had forgotten what happened to Jasmine. So this was a nice, well, not nice, but you get what I mean. It was right. a good to be surprised by the movie since I've seen it a lot. So were you surprised when we finally hear about Jasmine? What were your thoughts? Because we finally figure out who Jasmine is to him and what what her fate was. Right. Now, I know that earlier, I think it was earlier, Michael Caine mentioned that she had died, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because he says, she's like, but wait, he would be here, she would be here right now, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I do, I do remember that the movie either directly or indirectly had mentioned that she had died. So I kind of figured that was the case when he went up to talk to her. I wasn't expecting for her and the child to both die in childbirth. I was, that was literally a smack to the face when the movie got to that point. I was like, whoa. Like, I wasn't expecting this movie to go that far. I mean, this is a family film. You know, I wasn't expecting it to go down this kind of a bit of a more morbid path, but also one that's a, all too real as well. Um, so this whole scene is just, man, man, this scene is so good. Like I've seen, I think I've seen pieces of this scene and I got top 10 scenes list and I definitely see why now that I've seen it, I actually had to go back and watch it twice because there was mm. so much that happened in that one scene. I was like, I was almost overwhelmed with stuff. It's a great scene and there's a lot of emotion to it because it's really emotional for hub to talk about and you know walter's invested and walter this is kind of his time to say like you know i know you've lost a lot in your life but i'm here you know i can be the son that you never had really you know i right i need that father figure and there's a lot of emotion to it uh i think it really works oh yeah there is there's a portion i think this is really where the central idea of this movie comes into play hub has a line in here I think every line from him in, the, in this scene especially is near perfection just because of the way that he not only is personifying his character, but also how he delivers it. It's just, oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. One of the lines that really made me go, wow, was sometimes when things may or may not be true is when people need to believe it most. Mm-hmm. And then he says, honor, courage, and virtue mean everything. Power, money, money, and power mean nothing. And I think that, that that line right there when with the money and power thing, I was just like, wow. Because it's kind of funny because they have millions. And even the movie's like, doesn't matter. And it really doesn't. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, power and money, they don't mean really much. They're just for own personal gain. But just because it's for own personal gain doesn't really do anything. You know? It's a great message. And it's really well portrayed by the humility of the uncles but they're also really complex characters oh yeah that have had the they've like had everything taken away from them because they were shanghaied and forced into a life they never wanted right. but through that 
it gave them the life they wanted. And then it's kind of like it was all taken away from them again. And, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, clearly, because they lost a lot of that. But it's really cool to see how Walter is that happiness that's that's come back into their life. And it's like the family and like relationships that are most important. And I, I think it's really well portrayed and the message really comes across just really oh, yeah. well in this film. Yeah. One other notable, I think this is one of the last things that Hub has to say in his like big spiel that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, doesn't matter if it's true or not. Man should believe in those things. Those things that are, are the things worth believing in. And you now then this thing of true love never dies. And he says, remember that boy. And I was like, yeah. ah, man, and the way that, that he says that line too, he's like love, and it pauses, and you can see the expression on his face, like he's almost about to just break down. He's like, yeah. "True love never dies." That's oh, that's so good. And once again, we bring into that theme that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is what is truth? Because even Robert Duvall is just like, you need to be- believe in the good things. You know, he says the best things to believe in are the best things, not not really anything else. And it, it kind of comes down to honestly. It comes down to human desire, and in, in the most part, is believing in something that is best is going to help you in the long run. Because if you believe in things that are just morbid and things that are kind of depressing, that's not going to get you anywhere. Like, where are you going to go with that? Because now you don't really have much to live for because you're looking at the negative side. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And this is where I think this movie just really just ran into me, where it's just like, believe in the good things. It's not about it's not about the bad things. If you believe in the bad things, forget about it, because there's there's no hope there. And that's one of the other things this movie is hope as well. There's, even though these two old men are getting old and it's clear that they're going to die someday, that's not the point. Yeah, and I like how this movie, it's it like sets it up um with Walter and Hub and instead of just like dropping it there we get a we get a test of like Walter Walter is tested because is he going to listen to what Hub just taught him or is he going to retreat back into the skepticism and doubt that he's constantly grown up with with his right. mother because he's had nothing to believe in and she's always lied to him and again surprisingly she pops back up with this guy which is really surprising that she's like hey we're gonna get married and whatever and we're totally good with each other it it was it was really off and really inappropriate that i don't know she's like stands your new daddy or whatever and i do say that when walter does find uh he watches garth go to get the money it seems like uh, Walter kind of has this crisis of conscience and it's kind of like he starts to question everything that he's heard before then. And right. I I don't know. I guess it's still just that kind of balance between like maturity, like growing up and like accepting things. I think I would have liked a little bit more character motivation for why Walter just all of a sudden doubts his uncles, if that makes sense. Right. I I wouldn't, at least from my own perspective, I don't think he was doubting his uncles. I think he was looking for the truth. And 
like we just talked about, he kind of grew up in his life not really knowing the whole truth. His mom lied to him a lot, you know. So he, and he's been getting all of these different stories of people have from different people of how they got that money, you know. And so I do agree. I think that there should have been some more character motivation as to, you know, go look uh, and see what exactly Garth is doing and find the money and stuff like that. Part of me, honestly, I kind of want to believe that they never found the money. And where it kind of comes from is just kind of up to the imagination of the viewer. But I think that, yeah, like I said, going back to the original question, I, I think that maybe not doubting of the uncles, but definitely like, okay, what is the truth here, you know? Okay, I will say that especially upon like my first viewings of this, or at least the first viewing, I do remember being confused just like walter was about when stan says yeah they robbed this they like robbed a bunch of banks and then he brings up jasmine and it's so easily for stan to slip that in like oh yeah that was the lady who drove the getaway car right and walter's like what i don't know he's just used to being suckered in by everything his mom does and then just getting let down later on but i do like how he remembers what hub says and even if those stories that Garth told him weren't 100% true, Garth and Hub are not lying to him. Right. He's like, wait, my uncles are not lying to me. They have integrity. Like, they're both men of integrity, unlike Stan, who is a horrible guy, oh, and gosh. the mom, who is horrible, too. Right. So I really do like how Walter makes that decision. And I just love it when that adventure music plays. And he just makes the choice and it's not true. And he gets beat up, you know, but he, he's tough about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's it's definitely a side of maturity. Like, is he actually going to believe his mom again where he's actually lying to him and believe some fantasy? Which is kind of funny, too, because the fantasy that they uh, that they create in this scene feels so real. Like, it feels like this is... I, for a minute, I was like, are they? Like, are they actually robbers that stole all this money of course after that was like i don't believe it like they're it's too fishy you know how now i I hardly believe that this guy that she brought it with her is even a detective at all you know i began to question that halfway through the scene Mm -hmm. and i love how the reality um or i guess the um the fake reality that's created in this scene is the one that's the least bit true and all the stories that we've had before may actually have some merit to them like they're kind of fan they're kind of fantastic and everything but in this scene maybe they're a bit more real than i initially thought and then yeah once he gets to the barn like he he comes really close to finishing like to kind of actually showing the guy where it's at but once he gets well, i think once he the boyfriend grabs him and said we're going to have a man to man talk i think that was really the breaking moment for walter when he's like uh uh-uh. uh uh, I'm going to be a man about this. And then, you know, kicks him in the groin when he gets into the barn. I was like, yes, so good. Yeah, yeah. And I do love that uh, Jasmine runs out and protects Walter. But I found it to be really touching. And it was sad that that Jasmine dies, just like how the real Jasmine, right. Hub's wife, also died. Like, in kind of an act of love, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's it definitely going for that metaphor. The line very much is representative of Jasmine. Uh, the one thing that I will say, though, is I do wish we would have gotten a little bit more of Walter and Jasmine. I do agree. Movie. I totally agree. I wish there was more. That was one of my other criticisms is that 
I wish there was more connection between the main character and uh, the the lion. I mean, after he runs, after the lion breaks loose and goes into the cornfield, that's really the last time we see it. Yeah, and I was, and I guess you could say, like we said earlier, that I don't know, kind of this lion and the the uncles are almost interchangeable in a way. Yeah, uh, just how they care for Walter, how. I guess they both kind of like they both learn responsibility like Walter learns responsibility and care through both of them. Right. And just that kind of like connection through both of them. So I guess in a way it makes more sense that we don't get more time with Walter and Jasmine because that would take away time from his uncles. Right. Right. And in that sense it makes a lot a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, and the, I do have a slight problem with this scene though, because I'm like, oh wow, I'm really touched. But then there's some comedy to it. Uh, There's a little bit of comedy to it. And I felt that undercut the emotionality of the scene. Yeah. I, I don't think it bothered me very much. I did notice it, but I don't think it really bothered me too much. My own personal opinion, but yeah, I, I can see where that would be a little bit troublesome. So were you surprised that it's kind of a twist because you get so used to Walter being with the uncles but then his mom comes back and she's like, hey, you're coming back with me. We're going to have a house and Stan's going to be your new dad still. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't like this. Yeah. I Actually, I was kind of surprised. Uh, she first says that, oh, yeah, we're going to drop him off in Las Vegas. But once they get in the car, she reveals to him that, oh, no, he's, he's a good guy. He's a well-mannered man. We're going to keep him around. And it's right then when Walter's like... I'm getting out of here. Yeah. I think it's right at that moment where he realizes that he needs to make a put on his big boy pants and make a man's decision, which is to hop out of the car. <laughs> uh, were you surprised he just jumps out of the moving car? Yeah, I was a bit surprised. But at the same time, I was just like, that's probably the the best way of handling the situation. Because I also love when he does it. He's, they're crossing a bridge. Like, it's... Yeah. Kind of like an island. Like, they, the old men live on this island, you know. and They really do. Um, they're crossing this bridge, and it's right when they're crossing the bridge that uh, he hops out. Like, right, I think it's right after or something like that. So, yeah, even even the scene itself is a bit metaphorical because he's kind of deciding that he's not going to go back to where he was before with his mom. He's going to mature and become a man and go back to where it was best for him. Yeah, and I, and I do love that the uncle's feelings are mutual. They're both... Oh, yeah kind of coming up with funny ways of how to keep him, especially Hub is like, maybe we could buy him. And yeah. <laughs> sadly, the mom would probably do that. It's sad, yeah. but it's true. Yeah, and, it's very true. And I did want to say, I did really like when Hub grabs Stan's nose and like shakes his nose. Yep. Remember that? <laughs> that was really funny. It makes that like cracking sound when he does it. I thought yeah. that was very funny. Yeah. I, but honestly, it's so sad because Walter's like... Now Walter is so desperate to get away from his mom. It's sad, but it's necessary. It's that kind of coming of age mm-hmm. like we talked about where, yeah, he can be neglected and abused and thrown around all his life and kind of grow up to be nothing, you know, but he makes that it's a drastic choice. And I do love the symbolism of this scene where he makes the choice as they're crossing a bridge. Yeah. Because this is a bridge in his life where if he crosses this bridge, there's kind of really no going back. 
Right. But he makes the choice like right there and he's like, no, I'm not going to cross this bridge. I'm going to be a man. I'm not going to just let – he's just been beaten down too much in his life and it's, it works on so many levels. Oh, yeah, it does. And I love this ending. I love how uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was a lie from his mom. And, I, and once again, the, that what is truth – theme in this movie and he decides that he's gonna go and i love how too how he's going back to something that isn't in the modern world like they don't have really i mean i guess they have a car but they don't have a television they don't have any of that stuff it's a it's a sign of maturity as well that he's just going back to something that i guess gives his life more meaning which is the two uncles which we haven't really figured out if they really are his uncles but who cares yeah i would conclude like my personal conclusion is they are related to him somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you did you make a conclusion? I'm going to go on the opposite end and say that they aren't, but they become so close that yeah. it really wouldn't matter if they are or aren't blood related. I I think both works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really what the movie's going for. It's you believe what you want to believe about this movie, you know. It's it, whatever it makes you happy. Uh, that's what you should believe in, and I, it's kind of interesting too because that's kind of a kind of a uh, utilitarian kind of wor- worldview as well. I do really like the shot of Walter walking back, yeah, up with the dogs, and it's just a really cool, heartwarming return. Yeah. It's also kind of funny too that he's wearing a a suit as well. Um, he is. I yeah. think that that was uh, once again another sign of maturity. He's wearing a complete suit. He's walking up. Yeah, he's walking there too. Like that symbolism too. It's just he's walking there because he's he's made the decision that he's going to actually make an effort to walk there too, not to ride a car. And we flash forward. We skip ahead. We do not get to see them through the years. Even though I would like to see them through the years, but at the same time, it's kind of like this perfectly preserved summer. Um, the arc is complete. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, there really isn't too much else to show. I would say. Yeah, it's just kind of just wrapping it all up. Yeah, and we do see him come to, back to the, it's kind of like he, I don't know, maybe hasn't been there in a while to see his uncles, because I think that's what his uncles would want for him. Right. They wouldn't want him to be anchored there and be a homebody, just like they said, like, we got permission from our parents, you know, to go off and live our own life with adventures. I think that's exactly what they would want for him. And that's what he did. And I love how he, you know, is an animator now. He's a cartoonist. I thought that was really cool. And right. it, it was pretty funny and odd death almost. It, it seems a little fitting for them to not just like die in their sleep, but they went out on their own terms with like an adventure. Yeah. Honestly, the fact that they died by running into their barn, flying upside down in a plane that they built, I think that's, the best end you could have given these two characters. Yeah, absolutely. There's that. That's just the best way to write it. I, it's not only hilarious, but it also just kind of goes to show that they lived the life that they wanted to. They had fulfillment when they died, and that's really the best part about it. Um, yeah, that theme of death. You know, I I know that um, Hub talks about worthlessness a little bit earlier on in the movie before he has that conversation with uh, Walter. He mentioned that he just doesn't want to be useless. And yeah. I think it's kind of funny that later on he decides to do his own thing and he accidentally runs his plane into the barn. It's just it's hilarious. Were you surprised when the 
uh, Sheik's great grandson or grandson uh, landed. Yeah, there. I was when the helicopter showed up. I was like, uh, "What's what's happening here?" For some reason, my mind was just like, "It's going to be the uncles, isn't it?" I, for some reason, my mind just went, "It's going to be the uncles in that helicopter." I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not sure where I got that idea, but yeah, I thought that was pretty cool and. He's like, I wanted to see where these two men lived, where my grandfather always talked about them yeah. and how he respected them. And he's like, so all the stories were true. And he's like, oh, yeah, they were true. These men really lived. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We come to find out that maybe Garth was kind of telling the truth, maybe a bit more than we had given him credit for previously. Yeah. I think it's a great, uh, great end. I really oh, enjoyed yeah. this end. Oh, yeah. I think it is a great end. Um, yeah, I can't really say... I don't really have many faults with the ending. I think maybe it goes on a bit too long, but... Eh, you know, what it, it's not that big of a deal. Did you did you watch any of the credits? No, I did not. Okay. I just thought they were a little strange. They just... The music was a well, odd choice, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, they, I'm sure. I, I did sit around for a little bit of the music, but... I got a good sense of what the music was. It's kind of that Africa feel that we had in that scene with the lion going into the cornfield. Yeah. At least from what I remember. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Secondhand Lions? This movie has a lot of heart to it. And there's no way of dancing around that. Really, all of my issues with it are very small. Almost nitpicks, even. Like I said, the ending may be just a hair too long. But it's not that big of a deal. The some of the, I guess, one of the scene, the beginning scene when we first see Hub walk out and all the the sword sound effects with him in the plunger. That's a bit cheesy, but who cares? Haley Joel Osment's voice at times gets a bit squeaky, but once again, who who cares, right? Those are all very small issues. They're not that big of a deal, and that's one thing I love about this movie is that the issues that I have with it, I can I can get over that. There there's nothing there's nothing really of note that I think that I can see at least that is not good in this movie. I think that that this movie's really really crafted with such care. It's definitely a kids movie. And I think it's a very important kids movie because of the fact because of the themes that it talks about in here which is maturity and what is truth, you know. It's you're growing it's you get to see Haley Joel Osment's character grow up. Not only it's kind of like when we're told that we're kids, uh, that Santa Claus exists, and then we get to a point in our life where we're like, no, wait a minute. That doesn't logically make any sense at all. It's kind of like that. We're told when we're kids that you know Santa Claus exists, but as we grow older, we begin to realize and rationalize how we come to different conclusions. And we end up coming to a conclusion, or by a friend telling us, that Santa Claus doesn't actually exist. And I think that's probably the best way of explaining this movie is that you see Haley Joel Osment's character grow from this kind of a kid. And we see his high squealy voice kind of come into play when he, when Garth is telling these stories. But as the movie moves along, like I mentioned earlier, you have the, that staircase of maturity where you have uh, Walter at the bottom, then Garth, and then Hub, which I think is man. That I think that once you reach the Hub, that's when you become a man, which is definitely what happens in this movie because that scene with Hub and Walter by the pond side where he gives him that piece of the speech he has is fantastic. It's 
I had I, I literally had to go back and watch it again just because there was so much packed into that one scene that I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss it all. And the fact that Robert Duvall's character was the guy who gave that speech makes it even better. And it makes me wish that Robert Duvall was my uncle, so he would give me that speech when I became a man someday. Because now if that's only a piece of the speech, what's the rest of the speech like? That's what I want to know. So when it's all said and done, this movie's awesome. Honestly, I... Very, very glad that you chose this one, Corbin. I didn't know what I was going to get in myself into. I really hadn't really heard much about it. Now I see why this is so nostalgic for a lot of people that I know. Because it's very important. And that's the biggest compliment I can give this movie is how important it is. Because it, it talks about what do you believe in, you know? And when you put it in the context of even religion, it, it's... It becomes something that really, if you dive into it, and really what it should do is change your life. And that's one of the biggest compliments I can give to any movie. So now that I've rambled for uh, who knows how many minutes, I my final score, I'm going to give this an, a 9 out of 10. High, high recommend. Please go see this if you haven't seen it yet. It's so good. That's all I can really say about it. I mean, uh, we've gushed, I've gushed about it enough. I'm here, ready to hear your thoughts, Corbin. Yeah, Secondhand Lions is such a special movie to me because it really did make an impact on my life when I was younger, when the movie came out. And not just, like I talked about in the beginning, a cinematic impact, but also just an impact just like it made on Walter's life where just because something seems like fantastic and unbelievable doesn't mean it doesn't have to be not true to you. Um, and I think that's like a really important lesson for growing up is still holding on to that childlike wonder, but also still learning um, respect and care and trust for others and also for yourself. So I think this movie teaches a lot of great life lessons while presenting a really unique uh, engaging adventure that is easily rewatchable and it's also just something really great to watch with your kids or watch with your family because there's something everybody can learn from here from all ages because there's quite the age difference between our main characters here but it still all really works and there's great chemistry uh there's just such a great fantastic story and it's really heartwarming just like you said this movie's got a lot of heart this is a really heartwarming movie and it will always continue to be one of my favorite films of all time and it it's so special to me and hopefully now you can see why it is and why i picked it and why i'm so thankful we got to discuss it so ultimately i'm gonna have to give secondhand lions a 10 out of 10 um it's just such a wonderful film and uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to love this movie, always. Yeah. I'm so glad you picked this. Now I understand why this is one of your more favorite movies, one of your favorite movies of all time. Uh, makes total sense to me. Uh, this is probably something that I show my kids when I when I get old and crusty and decide to have some. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Corbin. Happy birthday to you, man. Good choice. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alan, for coming along with me for my birthday pick. I'm really thankful to hear how much you enjoyed it. I'm mm -hmm. I'm really glad about that. And listeners, we hope that you enjoyed this as much as we did. Um, we love sharing movies 
not just talking about movies that what's popular right now or what's fun about that. We also like to talk about movies that are personal to us, that have a connection to us in some way throughout our lives that made some sort of an impact. And that can be in a nostalgic way or more of a fun way or a mix of both. So we're really glad we get to share that with you. And we look forward to sharing more of those personal films with you in the future. And we want to hear about what movies are personal to you and why they are and we would love to discuss that with you and look at those films with you i mean that's why we're doing this we're not just doing this for ourselves we're doing this to share this with you and do it together i mean that's the great thing about the cinema is it's a communal experience it shouldn't be necessarily experienced in an echo chamber where it's just you but it's really great to experience it with others. And I think Secondhand Lions is is one of the best ways to do that. And I think that one of the big things about movies, too, is how much it impacts you. Like, how much, uh, how much does the movie impact your life? Because if a movie can impact your life in a way that this movie has impacted you, Corbin, in that case, it's a great movie. Because if a movie can change even your own, own personal perspective on life that means when you know it's a great film and that's why we discuss it because like you said i think that film is meant to be discussed that's why we have this podcast in the first place and having this kind of a conversation really kind of goes to show that there's a lot more to film than what people seem to initially think absolutely and i i personally really look forward to bringing more of these personal movies and personal takes to the discussion so we really want to say thank you for coming along for my birthday pick, and we look forward to some more birthday picks to come and, of course, more great reviews to come. But go enjoy a heartwarming movie with your family, with your loved ones. I can't wait to go do that again. It's just such a wonderful, nostalgic experience. And like this movie kind of shows, family comes in many different ways. And it's really surprising those ways that they come but nevertheless, they're equally important and equally have value. So make sure to uh, follow us on whatever your favorite outlet is. Make sure to sign up for updates so you don't miss this because we don't want you to miss joining in on this really fun and wonderful discussion with us. But we want to say thank you again for listening and we really look forward to next time. You probably would have been seven, right? I would have been six. What? Yeah, no, sorry, seven. Yeah. I was thinking, I was, my mom is still stuck on Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah.